0: Hello and welcome to the Sekiro Podcast. My name is Park Kelly and as always I'm joined by Ushin Collins.
1: Yes, we are back to a slightly less busy weekend this time. Just some sevens in the Pro 14 to worry about.
0: Yeah, round 10. The last round of Pro 14 matches before Europe gets underway again. A decent weekend's rugby.
1: Yeah, not too bad. A couple of really interesting games, a couple of home victories that ended up being blowouts. And don't forget, you can get us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts and all of the podcast apps. So sign up, rate, like, subscribe and you'll get all of our podcasts delivered to your device as soon as it's released. Yeah, you will. And before we talk about the Pro 14, we'll get into the rugby news of the week. And
0: if you ever wanted proof, we record this on a Sunday.
1: The biggest (laughs) news of the week. (laughs) Which is now still the biggest news of this week. Uh, Joe Schmidt parting the ireland coaching job after the rugby world cup if you leave now you'll take away the part of me <laughs> so sad like, it's probably just as well that we're covering this having had a week to deal with the news
0: yeah like there was lots of rumor and we don't discuss rumors like we we talk about facts and what we know and he's gone he's retiring from coaching for good reasons for his family. Can't blame him. He is obsessed with rugby. He needs a break.
1: Yeah, and I think the real thing will be the legacy of what he created in his time in the Ireland job. He has been, without a doubt, the most successful coach Ireland have had in the professional era. One of the best coaches in the game. And he will leave the coaching team weakened when he goes. But great that there's a bit of continuity. Andy Farrell has already been announced as taking over. That'll be interesting. First time in the top job for Andy Farrell.
0: Yeah, but I'd say the second he was a part of the Irish coaching setup that was kind of always the deal. David Newsfor clearly has this plan for how he wants Irish rugby to go, and there are a few are sticking to it, and it seems to be working.
1: Well, fingers crossed. It'll be interesting to see who else comes into that coaching setup to round it out. Uh, watch this space, I guess. And all hail the Crown Prince, Andy Farrell. Yeah, and Joe, you know who would really like to have him on board right now. The RFU, their
0: on-pitch isn't great, and their off-pitch is even worse.
1: Yeah, the news breaking this week about the finances of a number of the clubs in England, but also the RFU itself being massively, massively losing money. It's a bit of a shambles. It really is. And then when you think about like
0: Wasps in particular, are like 60 million in debt or something like that, I'm not surprised they have more investments
1: off the pitch than they have on it. Well, that, and you look at some of the Hollywood signings they've brought in in the last couple of years, they are bleeding money. And I guess what's the real challenge is you look at players like Liam Williams leaving the Welsh club set up to go play for Saracens because he's able to get paid more there. But it's not like Saracens actually have that money to pay him with. It's kind of mental and it's, it's, it's ruining the game. Yeah, it's just not sustainable. I think the RFU and the Celtic nations have the better model to work off. And speaking of kind of strange models to work off, Roby Australia got a strange phone call this week. Jake White, it seems, basically rang them and was like, that Michael Checker lad is useless. Give me his job. Which seems to be a little bit out of the ordinary. You don't do not, that. Not the done thing. No, you don't do that. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think there's a decent shot that Michael Cech is going to lose his job before the World Cup. But you'd like to think that's before coaches start applying for the position. If he hasn't lost it by now, he really won't. Yeah, probably not. And one other quite cool piece of news in the coaching world. We were actually sent on an interview this week by one of our podcast followers. Hi, Vaughn. Tiffany Fay, who is a former women's international in the U.S., has been appointed as a coach to one of the men's teams within the Major League Rugby franchise in New York, which is the new team that's joining this year. I think one of the first, certainly, professional men's sides to be coached by a female coach.
0: Yeah, she's got an assistant coach role, and I read some of the interview with her. It's brilliant. She's like, she has more international experience than the player she'll be coaching, so she will already command that respect. The scrum doesn't change. The lineup doesn't change. The breakdown doesn't change. Nope. You know, and that's the way she's taken the role. It's brilliant.
1: It is. And I guess kind of continuing on the theme of women's sport, the Dubai Sevens was on this week, which was the second tour event for the HSBC Sevens on the women's side. Pretty poor result for the Irish women's team. They kind of got through to the cup, which was great, but then lost every game from that point on, finishing eighth, which is a big step back from their sixth place, finishing Glendale in the first round.
0: Yeah, it's a real disappointment for them. Like They did get beaten by Canada in the cup competition, who went on to lose to New Zealand obviously, in the final. Mm-hmm. But I think that tight loss New Zealand might have just taken the, the wind out of their sails. There's nothing worse than nearly beating a top, top-level team and then trying to get yourself up for knockouts.
1: Yeah, it was a little bit unfortunate. Obviously, the men's team aren't in the HSBC 7s in the full competition. There were invitationals at Dubai as well, and there was a development team for the women's side who won a couple of games, um, got into the cup competition as well, but then crashed out of the fifth-place playoff. The men's team, on the other hand, which you would expect won their invitational competition. Like they're very near to a professional setup, so that's no real surprise. That's the standard they should be aiming for. Yeah, that men's team is literally buying their time until Hong Kong. Absolutely. And you know, good warm up for them. And speaking of a good warm up for some of these teams ahead of the return to European action next week, let's get on to round ten. Yeah, and Munster hosted Edinburgh down in Cork and they
0: blew Edinburgh off the field forty four points to fourteen.
1: Yeah, with I think the bulk of those points being scored in the first half, Munster weren't going out to win this game they were going out to absolutely pulverise Edinburgh into dust
0: Is there something between Munster and Scottish teams because they look like they want to physically hurt them as well
1: (laughs) Yeah well you know what the funny thing is I think it was just about putting up a kind of performance and making that statement particularly on a weekend where you had players returning like you have Conor Murray making his first start of the season Chris Farrell making his first start and you could tell that there was a, a gap in quality between these two sides like the first two tries that Munster scored were just too easy like in particular the the second try looked very soft on replay.
0: It was a great dummy line. And, you know, their backfield cover was getting seen by the physio at the time. So there was no cover back there. It's it's still not a good enough reason to concede a first phase
1: try. It isn't. And I, I picked up a little bit of analysis on Three Red Kings this morning, where the second try was actually a carbon copy of a play they made to get the first try. It was just on the first try. They gave it to both at the run up the middle. So that's where all of the Edinburgh players were watching when Conway ran that inside line. But look, this game... Was finished well
0: inside the first half. The try bonus point was got when 30 minutes on the clock. Like, you ran
1: riot. Yeah, like, to be fair, the game was over as a contest inside the first half.
0: Let's be honest, this game was over as a contest when the teams were announced.
1: Yeah, and I guess we've seen this in a couple of fixtures in the Pro 14, both this week and in previous weeks. There almost seems to be a case of sending your second string for an away fixture where you're not confident of getting a result. Not a trend that i'm all that delighted about it's not a great trend and look
0: second string players need to get game time they need to build up experience and develop
1: their own skills but they need to be drip fed through the main team yeah you see this really successfully in actually if you look at the ireland setup where you're introducing a handful of players at a time you're not just wholesale changing the team and sending out second strings from start to finish like there are very few squads that have that level of depth that can do that and still pull together a cohesive performance. And Edinburgh looked really, really rattled in this game.
0: They really did. And even in the second half of this game, like they looked a bit more together. But let's be honest, Munster's intensity dropped off a cliff in that second half.
1: And you tend to get that sometimes when a game has been so comprehensively won in the first half. Like, it took 25 minutes before we got a score in the second half. Like, again, really poor for Edinburgh to concede that try. Tyler Blahendahl just running in directly off a scrum. Defence just wasn't set. Once again, another first phase try in this match alone. Yeah, there's been a couple of those. And we mentioned it about the Benetton result last week as well. It seems like defence coaches are just not quite switched on, on on set piece. I guess good for Edinburgh that they managed to get a score. Duhan van der Merwe, who'd be one of their frontline players who was in the team, running in two tries. The guy is just relentlessly physical. It's it's pretty outstanding. It was a really well-taken try, but Munster weren't at the race
0: defensively. Like Their one-up tackling in that situation and the other Edinburgh try
1: just weren't good enough. It wasn't, and we looked a little bit shaky in defence. I thought Mike Haley had a pretty average game. He seemed to get caught out a couple of times, both positionally and then, as you say, making those one-up tackles. The other big one was without a goal kicker. We looked very exposed. Like two conversions out of eight tries is an appalling return rate.
0: Yeah, and looking at this match and the game last week, it, like from an outside perspective, like for me, monsters'
1: ten depth is clearly Carberry, Johnston, JJ, then Tyler. The thing I suppose is when you talk about the likes of value over replacement. Carberry is streets ahead of all the rest of those guys, but it appears like there's a fairly significant drop-off in quality after Bill Johnston as well, which is incredible for a young player, but he just seems to be more rounded, he's able to play all of the facets of the game, like Tyler's positional kicking is good, but he does it a little bit too much, JJ's running is very good, but his place kicking has been dodgy we just need more rounded players. And I guess speaking about rounded players, the likes of Chris Farrell coming back is hugely beneficial. His direct running was just brilliant. And it was drawing defenders into him, but then his ability to pass and offload and change the point of attack is what created like a number of those monster tries. And especially the third one, where, where when you look at the wide
0: angle from behind the goal, there's literally three players bearing down on him. Mm-hmm. And he just gets the ball out and a deft offload, which was, I had to see the replay to see how he got it out.
1: <laughs> yeah, he kind of turned his back and then the ball was mysteriously gone and we've got a three-on-two overlap. It was nice stuff. It really was nice stuff.
0: And you're back rope on a masterclass in this game. You're so clinical at the breakdown and to carrying ball in hand.
1: Yeah, and Tyke Byrne showing that he is kind of getting back into that turnover machine mode. And Munster were clinical all over the park. Like, the finishing from the back three was outstanding. Keith Earls with, I think, a new club record for the fastest ever hat-trick couple of tries for Andrew Conway we just never looked like losing this but you have to say it was against a very poor Edinburgh side who didn't really have anything to show. No like Van de took his tries well and you know he
0: just he is just lethal when given an inch of space Mm -hmm. but given the fact that six of Edinburgh's
1: forwards only had ten caps between them like Good luck. This was always going to be a tough night at the office. And I think you could even see it on Richard Cockerell's face. He didn't really seem too bothered by this. This was very much what was expected. And moving on to another result that was probably what you would have expected, if not for the howlingly bad performance the Ospreys had last week, they hosted Zebrae in the Liberty Stadium and 43-0. I expected an Ospreys win. I did not expect that scoreline. No, and that scoreline really flatters the Ospreys. They ended up running in a number of tries very late in the game, but Zebrae were just never, ever able to create anything of their own. They were very disruptive, and they made the Ospreys look pretty ordinary, without ever generating much by way of attacking opportunities themselves.
0: There was no real
1: rhythm in this game, like... It was very stop start, very hard to watch. Yeah, the error count was really high as well, which kind of drags your attention away from the game. You're not really able to get involved in it. And it ended up being set-piece, so simple stuff for Ospreys, which got them their try. A penalty try off a scrum on 23 minutes, which is pretty early in the game, but they had just won two or three penalties in a row. And given they had that dominance in the pack it was surprising they didn't use it more it was and they were dominant from a territory possession as well they were basically parked in the zebra half for the entire game occasionally zebra would try and relieve the pressure with a kick but they were just turning possession back over and they never really had enough ball to do anything useful with it we say this about zebra the whole time no canna
0: no chance like it's just incredible how much worse they are when he's not on the pitch,
1: well, everything creative goes through him, and it's really obvious when he's not there that they're not generating the types of scoring opportunities. Speaking of scoring opportunities, the TMO earned his money; he was referred to on like four or five incidents in the second half. He was busy, all right. And
0: one incident, he was called into play when we nearly got our clown around from Friday when Haberfield did everything in his power not to score a try. Like, I know the rugby ball bounces oddly, but Jesus,
1: did he mess that up? I think he just overran that kick-through, and you could just see him flailing around, trying to figure out where the ball was as it dribbled into touch. It was such an obvious opportunity for a score. And Osprey still had a lot of work to do before that game really opened up. They really made hard work of the third try. Then they got their bonus point, again from another zebra error, and after that you could tell that the italians heads just dropped and osprey started racking up points
0: exactly and like we said this wasn't a great game osprey's capacity to think their way through situations was non-existent at times they don't seem to have a lot
1: of on-field rugby iq at the moment they're not making smart decisions
0: and with the players they had out there that's shocking like alwyn jones the welsh captain lions captain like he should know better like Sam Davies, I, I know we we
1: give him a bit of slagging, but he actually is an intelligent player at times. Against Connacht. Shut up. <laughs> they just didn't seem to be going out with the game plan to win this. They managed to play their way out of it just by being more skilled. And the fact that Zebre really didn't have much to offer, but the handling errors as well from both sides. But you really do expect better from a team of Ospreys' standards. Especially at home. Absolutely. In a stadium, they know, with relatively decent conditions. It was wet, but it wasn't the worst rain we've ever seen at a match. No, it does rain in Wales. They should be used to this.
0: <laughs> but look, they went out, they scored their tries, they got the win. At the end of the day, that's all—that's what their fans want, and they've got the five points on the, tip, on the board.
1: They did, and that wrapped up all the rugby on Friday evening. And moving on to Saturday, first game up, Ulster versus Cardiff in Ravenhill. And they were very lucky here. Massive get-out-of-jail-free.
0: I actually think that, like, John Cooney's boot
1: is going to get the freedom of the city. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like, there was a lot of penalties being given away, but Cardiff just didn't seem to be able to capitalise. Whereas every time Cardiff gave away a penalty, Cooney would step up and knock over the points.
0: Which is what he does so well for them. Also, his first try
1: did come from a tap and goal when the three points was on. It was, and McCloskey just obviously saw a gap there, but it's rare that you randomly see an inside centre taking a tap and goal penalty. They were lucky that it worked out, basically, because he would have looked like a complete dummy if it had backfired. And that put Ulster on the scoreboard and they just kept tipping away. They were struggling to put together any kind of a cohesive attack, as were Cardiff. Like this again felt like a really scrappy game.
0: Yeah, it wasn't the it wasn't the most enjoyable game to watch by any means. And even after twenty minutes,
1: Ulster's penalty count was so high. It was, and we had Kieran Mulvahill come out in the interview after the game, giving out about the referee. That probably won't end well. Well, refereeing in general, like I
0: think he feels Cardiff's been on the wrong end of some poor displays. I'm sure Bernard Jackman can
1: give advice of how to best watch games from home. <laughs> Welsh coaching teams helping each other out. <laughs> there was one kind of major incident in the first half. Really nasty clash of heads on 35 minutes. Billy Burns coming out very much the worse from it. He was replaced early enough in the second half by Johnny McPhillips. He just seemed to have been in the wars in that first half. I don't know whether he was being specifically targeted or was just getting involved in the game physically, but he looked fairly shook up. Any defence that doesn't go after a 10 isn't doing its job.
0: Not saying rough him up like that, but you know <laughs> what I mean. Like, yeah. It's just one of those things that 10s have
1: to deal with at times. It's such a pivotal position. and What was interesting, I think, in the second half is that Ulster seemed to get a little bit more cohesive. They started to tighten up their defence, When their bench started to come on, the likes of Rory Best, Jacob Stockdale and and even Johnny McPhillips coming into the game had a really positive impact, which is great because we've seen in earlier weeks that when Ulster are emptying the bench, they can tend to lose their patterns and it was very much the opposite here.
0: I'm a big fan of Johnny McPhillips. Like, I think he's one for the future for Ulster. But when your bench is... Best and Stockdale,
1: you're gaining experience, you're gaining stability, not losing it, and gaining that leadership that's been one of the hallmarks of her Ulster season. And certainly, some of the earlier results went wrong. They just needed that good decision making on the pitch,
0: even if they're not
1: really sharp going forward. No, th- that was a real concern for them. And certainly, watching the last ten minutes of this game, it was Cardiff who looked more likely to score. Ulster really holding out on that lead that Cooney's boot had given them, and managing to keep them in the right part of the pitch. And, you know, getting the result they needed. Even if Cardiff did everything in their power not to score. They really did. Like, the decision-making, again, was another factor here. This was a decent Cardiff team that was sent. They were missing some players. But for me, this wasn't one of the kind of thrown game selections. They really put it up to Ulster and just lacking execution. And Nick Williams didn't have a great game. And as is so often the case when he doesn't play very well, that back row just doesn't fire the same way even if their tight five had a good game, you need your back row securing ball for your backs to play with. And they would have got some change out of it as well because Ulster's back three weren't offering a lot. In particular, given that John Cooney's box kicking is such an important part of the game, you expect the likes of Henry Spate and Michael Lowry to be an awful lot stronger under high balls. I thought Lowry actually had a really poor game I totally understand he's an academy player. He's still learning his trade. Maybe it's just that he's been so impressive earlier in the year. But I think he was caught out a couple of times.
0: Some of his positional awareness just wasn't right. And you're dead right. When someone's having such a good season, when they have the one bad game or the blip in that, it just highlights it more.
1: But you know what? Ulster will be happy with the result. They got what they needed from this fixture. And moving on to the next game, Connacht and Cheetahs down in Bloemfontein. Connacht running out 21-17 winners. They'll be happy. They got what they needed as well. I'm telling you, nine points from
0: that towards South Africa. That's a hell of a result. Only like the second team to get two wins down there. Fantastic stuff. It really, really is. Like, so happy. I was watching this game with you. That last 20 minutes, I was. I had nine, nine, nine on call because
1: I thought my heart was going to give out. <laughs> I was going to say, I think it was more relief than happiness when the final whistle went. But... Connacht had some really nice moments in this game. In particular, some of the tries they scored were great. That first try by Tom Farrell, it was just really good individual skills. I think when he turned the guy inside out and then just brushed off the attempted tackle, he looked really good. But even breaking through two tackles to get to that point, they were poor tackles.
0: What cheaters are known for, these kind of scrag not really taking the man out. Mm -hmm. And he capitalized on that.
1: He did, and I think the concerning point, though, is that Cheetahs were able to get line breaks almost as easily. And Connaught's scramble defense was a little bit more effective. In particular, Adi Alokin had one brilliant moment where he got back and tackled what I was sure was going to be a try for Cheetahs.
0: And I think in the next 10 minutes, he actually ripped his bicep off the bone. So when Ah. I gave out on Twitter about him not making a tackle for one of Cheetahs' tries... He was flapping at the guy. He literally only had one arm. Oh. Most people knock down the, the, the fend-off arm with one arm and tackle with the other. He didn't have the arm to knock down the fend with. Okay. And, and that's why he wasn't able to make that tackle. Like That's really bad news for him because that could be a horrific
1: injury to rehab.
0: It's just really bad timing for him and for Connell because we're fairly
1: light on back three players. You know what? It does give an opportunity for the likes of Leader and some of the academy guys, De Butler, who've had a good start to the season and really do need some more game time.
0: Yeah, and more games will let Leader get back up to speed and get the likes of De Butler and the other academy lads
1: that game time that will just bring up to that next level yeah talking about this game it did tend to break apart a little bit it was quite tight and of that northern hemisphere style for about the first half hour but it started to break apart a little bit which really suited the cheetahs yeah and they scored two
0: tries in that period you know when connor controlled the tempo of the game and made sure we imposed our game plan we looked quite secure like it was slow it wasn't
1: entertaining
0: but it was effective
1: Yeah, and I think that kind of coincides with when Carty just started to lose the ability to manage that game. I haven't seen him play as poorly as that for a while. And his ability to bring consistency from week to week, it's probably the biggest drawback that Connacht as a team have at the moment. And it's definitely the reason why he's not getting a look-in in in the Ireland setup. Definitely. He started strong this year, but the last couple of games, he's just having those blips.
0: Like, he's still an 80% kicker off the tee, but he's still always missing one kick to touch. He's always... Dropping one ball, and you don't want your 10 having those moments. I don't mind
1: my winger having a drop ball. It's a strange one, though, because I don't actually see him having blips in game where the rest of the game is going well. It's almost a confidence thing. He tends to either have poor games or really good games. He is improving. I think he's going to improve year to year. He is still our best 10. He is, and we saw that when some of the substitutions came in. There's not as much depth as you'd like in a couple of key positions, but you kicked your points. You managed to keep the scoreboard ticking over and that was the winning of the game because your defence was just about, just about, able to hold off that Cheetah's back three. Malcolm Yar in particular was outstanding and Smith on the other wing wasn't bad either. They just seemed to be able to create a lot of space and that's a Cheetah's back three without Max Wane. It's also a Cheetah's team that chose to rest their first choice 10. It was only injury that brought Schoenemann on as early as he came on.
0: Yeah, but Connacht had their first team that players in from the beginning and it made the difference. Butler got
1: man the match. You know, he was everywhere. His moustache is terrible. <laughs> terrible, it. Movember does this every year. It's the December. This game was played on a Saturday in December.
0: I'm sure there's a, an event in Galway he shaved that off. There'd of better <laughs> be an event in Galway if this is a new style choice then somebody needs to have a quiet word. But it was one of those things in a game like this. We had a lot of good individual performances. You know, Blade played really well. Godwin grew into the game. I have a bit of confirmation bias with him that I wasn't impressed with him, but that last 10 minutes he was everywhere. Well, he
1: ended up carrying an awful lot of ball for you and looking for the ball, taking responsibility, which is great to see. I think he's a player who we've talked about his unfulfilled potential and even the guys from the Rugby Report card called him out as having talent but never realising it. If he's able to step up and put a hand up, he could be a huge player for Connacht. The interesting thing for me, though, is you should never have been in a position to win this game. The Cheetahs butchered opportunities from minute zero to minute seventy-nine. Whereas Connacht didn't seem to be able to create much in the second half, you just saw that the game started to edge a little bit away, and they were almost left clinging onto it, which I think is why your fingernails were bitten basically down to the knuckle <laughs> by the time the final whistle came. Even around. if we butchered our own blatant
0: two-on-one with with a poor pass from McCartney, but I was surprised that we didn't get brought back for advantage. That for me was ten meters from the try line, in a relatively kickable position. In those scenarios in the past, you kind of see they haven't scored points. Okay, back for the penalty.
1: Yeah, he did kind of call advantage over a little bit sooner than you might expect. Honestly, that's good for me. I think those advantages, particularly when you get in the 22, are let run way too long. But it did seem to be a little bit inconsistent based on what we see week in, week out. But look, we won. We got out of there with the four points. Job done. And that brought us on to the late games on Saturday, where we had three games kicking off at the same time. Yay. (laughs) Yay. All matches were done and on Saturday, at least. That is true. And the first game that we were watching was the Southern Kings versus Benetton fixture, which was actually one of the more enjoyable games of the round. Yeah, it was a
0: really competitive fixture. Both teams exploiting the other one's weaknesses to great
1: advantage. Yeah, I think for me, there wasn't a great deal of like razzle-dazzle or panache in this game. Both teams were playing fairly simple rugby, but they weren't making as many mistakes. And I think given how high the error count had been in some of the other games this weekend, it was nice to see rugby, even basic rugby, played competently.
0: Even if we got another
1: first phase try when Kings got their first one. Yeah, there was some incredibly soft defence there. Do you know what, Benetton, as we've seen so often, I think I think they're actually one of the most composed teams in the league at the moment, and the way they took their three tries from Mauls was a perfect example of that. Like it's rare that you see a hooker getting a hat trick, particularly a first half hat trick, wrapping up the third try on thirty eight minutes.
0: If McKinney got more of his
1: conversions, squeaky pone time might have been avoided at the end of this game. Yeah, only getting one out of his four conversions, 25% is a pretty bang average ratio for a goal kicker. And speaking of 10s, Banda isn't one. He's fairly diabolical as a 10. He's, a, he's an unbelievable counter-attacker. And even the commentators were saying he is one of the most dangerous counter-runners in the game. He just has zero game management ability and playing him at 10 weakens two positions. You're weakening Kings at 10 and 15, where he's
0: incredible. Like, and, he, and that's where he causes all his damage. And with him at 10, there was no one in the Kings sub kind of going, all right, let's just put the ball in behind. Let's make Bellenton play from their own half.
1: It was a very over and back affair. It was. And the other thing you see is because he's at 10, he's that little bit closer to the game line. He's getting tackled before he can generate those type of one-on-ones and those type of outside breaks. It's just really poor coaching to keep picking him at 10. And I don't know whether it's a squad rotation thing or whether he wants to be a 10, but somebody needs to stick a 15 on the dude and not let him anywhere near that out-half shirt again.
0: It's one of those weird things. Kings sort out 10 and discipline.
1: They're actually a very dangerous team. They are. In particular, like their physicality is outstanding. And we say this about the South African sides a lot, but the Kings are a really, really good setup defensively. Like, apart from their mall defense, which was obviously cataclysmic, the rest of the time, they were playing really good rugby. And their breakdown work is phenomenal. They mess.
0: So much ball up. They also give away a ton of penalties for doing that. (laughs) But they do make a mess of the breakdown. Cogh last week played two sevens to counteract that.
1: Yeah, and if they can compete legally at the breakdown, but still cause the same amount of disruption, they're going to be certainly unpleasant, if not impossible, to play against. And I guess it really isn't a Kings game unless somebody gets yellow carded, even if this one was after the 80 minutes had elapsed.
0: And even with 14 men, they pulled a try back to get the losing bonus
1: point. What? or a on doing, not kicking that ball out. It was so bizarre because they proved their determination and they proved their grit for the previous like, 15, 20 minutes when Kings did have opportunities to score. And then you've got the try bonus point. You're eight points clear. You're in your opponent's 22. Tap the ball and put it into touch. Don't try and gloss up the scoreline because what they ended up doing was conceding a try and losing a bonus point to a team in their own conference. Stupid. It really, really was stupid. I just took that sheen off a. Of- good result it was they won't be too disappointed i mean they still got five points from a trip to south africa but for me it did take a little bit of an edge off the game and i guess a game that didn't have a whole lot of edge to it leinster versus dragons in rodney parade and dragons got absolutely battered here 10 points to 59
0: i had so much hope for dragons after last week because they actually put a performance together and then this week they decided not to in any way shape or form turn up
1: yeah, and Leinster put out a team which was probably second string players across the pitch. Really only Scott Fardy and Ross Byrne are part of your match day 23s a lot of the time.
0: Yeah, like we went through the depth chart, you know, of where these players are when everyone's available to be selected.
1: And not many were in the starting 23, if any at all. Some of them were third string players. The likes of Caelan Doris at eight, who had a fantastic game compared to his relatively quiet performance against the Ospreys, is behind Jack Conan and Max Deegan. You know, there's ridiculous strength in depth. There really is. And Leinster played very
0: intelligently here. They just kept the ball for the full game. Once again this season,
1: Dragons put a try on them. But this whole game looked inevitable from the beginning. It did. And it was just smart rugby. Leinster identified how narrow the Dragons were playing. So Ross Byrne got to play kick pass practice. And Dave Carney was the primary recipient of that.
0: As then she went from neutral
1: to second because they didn't need to get out of second gear in this whole <laughs> game whatsoever. Pretty much. And and Dragons really needed to get a score before half time. And they had an opportunity. They were on the Leinster five metre line with a line out. And you turned around to me and said, I wonder whether they're going to knock it on or whether Leinster are going to steal it. At which point I started to remonstrate with you that maybe they'll... Oh, Leinster stole it.
0: Leinster stole it. it. It really was too predictable. It was a front of the line-out throw. And lenster were in front of the jumper. Like, how does that happen on your own line out ball when you're in attacking position? That's just not good enough.
1: It's not. And it was kind of endemic of everything that the Dragons were doing. They were just not at the races. They were slower. They weren't hitting as hard. They weren't capable of beating this team. This isn't exactly a surprise. Like We expected a cricket score here.
0: Yeah, and it's really funny. Like One of my
1: notes from the match was that Leinster made hard work off a 59 point to 10 win. It is, but I think they were just so clinical when they did get opportunities, but it did seem to take them a while to get going.
0: But Gibson Park will be a lucky man, and possibly not to get a yellow in that match, after his
1: headlock and bit of afters after Rodri Williams' try. Yeah, Williams going over for that try and Park making... Kind of some random mysterious headlock style tackle. And then, you know, a bit of the forearm in the face afterwards.
0: He could have got the yellow, but I was happy to see the ref actually give a penalty to restart the match with. Good knowledge of the laws. Yeah, it doesn't happen enough because there's a lot of that rubbish happens at tries. Like people sliding in with knees and, you know, those like late hits, stuff
1: like that. You know, if refs are utilizing the laws, that would go very quickly. There's a ready-made way to penalize it. Yeah. And I'll be honest, I wasn't all that familiar with it. So good education for me too.
0: <laughs> and Roger Williams is a conundrum. He runs really good lines. Look, and that try is a prime example, but his passing is just so erratic.
1: There's so much variation. You could be getting the ball directly into your face or directly to your bootlaces, And it's a little bit slow. He tends to hit static runners an awful lot. You know, when you're having a bad day, at least if you're running onto the ball, you can get some go forward. I think part of it, though, Ross Byrne was a huge influence in this game, but he was aided by how incompetent Dragons' backfield defending was. They seemed to be playing with 14 men in their defensive line throughout the game, and whoever they had defending the backfield was just out of position more often than they were in position.
0: Like, and we do tend to give out about Dragons, but like these are actual things
1: they can improve on. But what are they doing in training for it? Because Scrum halves should be passing. Backfield players should be defending. This looks like a team who aren't at the races in terms of knowing what their jobs are and having the skill set to execute it
0: and i i know i gave bernard jackman a bit of a beating in the previews and i've done it a few times this season but to be honest this isn't looking good for him like these are the basic skills and his team aren't doing them
1: no like let's move on from this there was one other game and it was the game that we were most looking forward to all weekend left this weekend. And it delivered. It's so delivered. It did. For the wrong reasons, but it delivered. <laughs> <laughs> so Glasgow v. Scarlets. And Glasgow came out with a 29 points to 20 win. Which, when you walk through how this game happened, is even more surprising. Scarlets came out with a pretty good selection. You know, Patchell at 10. Fonatia at 12. John Davies at 13. Johnny McNichol. Steph Evans. Like This is a lot of their starting European players. But didn't go the way they expected
0: no it really really didn't and let's deal with the main talking point
1: of this match first yeah the red card and for me it was a stonewall red i think for anyone with two eyes it was a red card you cannot lead with the shoulder you certainly can't lead with the shoulder and make direct contact with the jaw like jake ball took a serious knock went off for a hia after it it was direct contact with the head With force. Referee took an awful long time to agree on it, but for me, mine was made up the second I saw it.
0: Yeah, it looked like Frank Murphy was trying to not give a red. Let's be honest, head equals red.
1: Yeah, and they're there to try and bring the tackle line down and to keep players safe. But what was so surprising from this was the Scarlets then seemed to have forgotten that they were in a rugby match. The minute they went a man up, they just fell apart completely. They weren't able to get any kind of cohesion together. Their discipline went off a cliff and they ended up losing a player to the bin less than 10 minutes later for just repeat infringements. It was mad. The red cards seemed to galvanise
0: Glasgow and definitely their fans. Glasgow just held on to the ball. They pulled a
1: Benetton. If there's any team to learn from, it's Benetton. In terms of managing a player down, absolutely. And they went and just continued to put points on the board. Having said that, for me, the try that their 10 scored was a double movement.
0: Oh, definitely. It was a
1: a lesser version of what Edinburgh got pulled for last week. I was really disappointed to see the the try that wasn't and 45 minutes disallowed. There was just a couple of really, really stunning offloads. And as we were watching it unfold, I think every offload was like, Ooh, ooh, this is really good. But unfortunately, one of them was marginally forward. Like how that type of rugby is allowed pre-watershed, I'll never know. (laughs) If only the TMOs weren't such joyless soul suckers. What was surprising, I think, was Scarlet's big-name players just did not perform, with the exception of Johnny McNichol. But Rhys Patchell was anonymous, and Jonathan Davies like, eventually popped up on 47 minutes to get a try back for Scarlet's, but did absolutely nothing of value in the first half. No, it was really poor, and
0: Scarlets weren't able to handle the fact that Glasgow weren't kicking on the ball. And it's an issue for them. They lost all their turnover machines over the summer and haven't replaced them
1: effectively, or at all. Yeah, and combined with a couple of injuries to key back row players, they're just looking like they need to be handed possession in order to do something with it. And the minute Glasgow decided to stuff the ball up the jumper for the whole game, it was largely game over, particularly looking at the strength of Glasgow's set piece. Their scrum was murdering the Scarlets. And you know what? Scarlets, it's just not acceptable to have a man advantage for 40 minutes, because they got two yellow cards in this game. Yeah, the discipline was really bad as well. I- I'm amazed, really, and the Scarlets are going to have to bounce back big time next week. They're up against Ulster in the European double headers, so they're going to have to bring their A game.
0: Yeah, and so will Glasgow, but there was one other game on Saturday.
1: There was. The last remnants of the international calendar, the Barbarians versus Argentina in Twickenham. And this was a- actually a cracker. So much fun. I love the Babas. They're just incredible fun to watch. The Babas were running around, lots of offloads, really good fun. And not defending, because, you know, why would Babas (laughs) defend? They did seem to get a little bit bored. And then Argentina all of a sudden have scored four tries. It's almost like they're playing on, like, difficult mode, whereby it's let them run up a lead and then chase it back. And chase it back, they did. I oh, know, two line-out, Maul tries, with, you know, half the backline joining in, not knowing what they were doing. No, but just generally having a great time. <laughs> but then Argentina get a line-out Maul try as well. Although it was the first time they had scored in 30 minutes, and the last time they would score in this game. And then the Babaz just came back. You cannot write off a Barbarians team. I did see the result of this game take over, and when I knew that the Babas had got to 35-35... The last thing I wanted when I saw a three-point winning margin was to think they had taken a penalty. But no, Elton Yankees knocks over a
0: manky drop goal. It was a fun game to watch, but there wasn't much at stake. Argentina had the young boys out just to give them a bit of a taste of international rugby or top-tier rugby. So, you know, they
1: will be annoyed they lost, but it's not the end of the world. It isn't. So that's all the rugby that was on at the weekend. And having a quick look at the league tables... In Conference A, it's getting a little bit tighter at the top. Connacht and Munster are within four points of each other, and the Ospreys are just two points further behind. Glasgow's still at the top of the table with 41. Looking relatively comfortable, but I suppose all this takes a back seat this week as we move into European action. Yeah, and then in Conference B, Leinster are just running away with it. They are. Like, a 15-point margin at this stage of the season is slightly ridiculous.
0: But that second, third position seems to be getting clearer with Scarlett and Ulster both on 29 points. Benetton, Edinburgh and Dragons, all on four and three wins. Yeah, and the results this weekend got Benetton up ahead of Edinburgh. And that brings us nicely to our second-row top performer and clown the round. It does, and you've picked our top performer this week, Pork. Yeah, I have. i picked the Benetton winger, Montuani, and it might just be for his try alone, which was spectacular on the weekend, his awareness on the line, and then to just grab the ball as it's across the touchline, bringing it back in and just dotting it down for a beautiful try – But it's kind of for his impact across the South African Tour in general. His defence has been incredible. He
1: just really deserves credit for how good he's been playing. His tackling has been outstanding. He has been chopping people in half. He's such a good, physical, legal tackler. It's outstanding to see the damage he can do with arms wrapped and just driving directly into the ribcage. But yeah, that try was pretty special. And given that it wrapped up the bonus point for Benetton, worth recognising for that. And you've picked our clown the round. I have, and I'm afraid it's Welsh prop Rob Evans in this particular case. We posted a clip of this on the second row Twitter, and it's just been on loop on my phone since. So Rhys Patchell is running across the pitch, at which point Rob Evans is clearly in the way, and rather than doing absolutely anything of value, he just crouches down in the fetal position, at which point he forms the world's largest tripwire. Patchell goes over him and just plomp straight onto the ground.
0: I've seen my five-year-old nephew doing that when he's trying to hide from me. If I can't see them, I'm not
1: there. <laughs> there was a bit of that, all right. It was pretty funny. It and really was. and it, it was just pure slapstick comedy. Definitely. And it's worthy of the clown around. It was. Tom Haberfield, you have been saved by a particularly funny moment from the Scarlets. Just. <laughs> <laughs> so looking ahead to next week's fixtures, and we're back to European action. So again, talking about the Pro 14 fixtures... In the Champions Cup in Pool 1, Leinster are travelling to Bath on Saturday. Leinster will be looking for a result here. They really will. And in Pool 2, Munster hosts Cast. That has to be a target for a five-pointer. Not saying we're going to get it, not predicting anything, but that's got to be what's on the menu. Given the fact that Cast are near the bottom of the top 14. Two games of Pro 14 interest in Pool 3, Leon playing host to Glasgow and Cardiff travelling to Saracens. I think for Cardiff, that's probably going to be damage control.
0: In Pool 4, Scarlets hosts Ulster
1: in an All-Pro-14 affair. And then we have Edinburgh v. Newcastle in Pool 5. Both teams who are underperforming domestically, so interesting to see what their European form is like. Edinburgh need a performance here. They really do. Moving on to the Challenge Cup, Northampton are hosting the Dragons in Pool 1. Hard to see past a fairly heavy loss there.
0: Yep. In Pool 2, Ospreys host Stade Francais, which should be a good game. Then... In Pool 3, Connacht hosts Perpignan, and I'll be there doing a fan camp. Excellent,
1: looking forward to that. Then we have Zebrae making their odyssey to play NSI STM in Pool 4, which is likely to not be a spectacular festival of rugby. Then in Pool 5, Benetton hosts Harlequins, which should be a decent game. I think so. Harlequins have been a little bit sketchy away from home this year, and they looked really ropey this weekend. Nice to see if Benetton can get a win there. That could really make their season from a European perspective. It's
0: such a shame these games won't be on telly and the highlights we will see will be poor. There's only one camera on the sideline. There's no proper around the field camera
1: setups for these games. It's a nightmare because you don't really get a sense of the game. And it probably means that the TMO isn't available for some of these games as well. No TV setup, no TMO. That's really, really amateur. You look at the Challenge Cup trying to brand itself as a premier competition and this really just flies in the face of that.
0: It all comes from who wins the TV rights. And because TV rights were all thrown together
1: with a Champions Cup, BT can do whatever they want with it. And it's a shame to see a number of top teams playing in games which are going to be competitive and should be entertaining and real fans will want to watch being chopped down to like a 30-second highlights clip at the end of a BT highlights show. Yeah, it's a shame, but at least we'll be able to talk about the Kongs match next week. <laughs> you and your fan cam, you might get some coverage. And that's us for this week. We'll be back next week for some European action, discussing how the Pro 14 side's gone on in the Champions Cup and in the Challenge Cup. We really do love hearing from you, so do get in touch with
0: us on facebook.com forward slash the second roll and we're on Instagram and Twitter where we're at the second roll that is 2ND not the word second so until next time take care goodbye and thanks again for listening
1: bye everyone